You know, last week we had a discussion about school resource officers, cops on the campuses at our area high schools. And I think that over the past couple of decades, many parents and likely many students may have felt more reassured of schools taking a proactive role in protection in the age of firearm-fueled rampages. None of us wants to see a child hurt or teachers for that matter, but in more recent times, the public perception, while still supportive generally of law enforcement, I think, has become shaken with the number of cases that we see play out on cell phone captured videos and in the headlines about those officers who abuse their power and are not held accountable the way that others in our society are when they hurt or kill civilians. Now, there are parents today who say that their kids don't feel safe in public schools. Uh, they have police officers patrolling the halls, and recent headlines from city council meetings boast some pretty hefty budget allocations for one single such officer. I asked the question last week, and I will ask it again. Do we need a comp on campus at our high schools or middle schools, and does their presence make the community feel safer or does it create anxiety in teenagers and affect their ability ultimately to learn? The Palm Springs City Council took the matter up as part of a package of expenditures that they were asked to approve with other items, but council members a week or so ago decided to put the brakes on the SRO. And I am pleased to welcome back to the John McMullen Show Council Member Jeff Kors to talk about this and other business in the city of Palm Springs. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for being here. Sure. Great to be here as always, John. So you and Mayor Christy Holstige uh, had concerns, uh, perhaps some of your other cohorts on the council, that you felt should be addressed before pledging almost uh, $200,000 and a uniformed officer to the Palm Springs Unified School District, uh, despite the city's past involvement with funding a school resource officer. What's happening there? Uh, Sure. And so this item wasn't part of the budget items. This was a separate item on the consent calendar that I pulled uh, because I felt it needed to be on a regular agenda with as much public notice as possible. So one, we can hear from our residents and students who want to weigh in on this as well as from the school district. You know, in early August, the school district had announced that they were not gonna move forward with having police officers serve in this capacity at the four high schools uh, in Palm Springs Unified School District. And then they changed their mind uh, and then are asking the cities to weigh in. So I'd like to understand why they initially didn't wanna do this and then what the reason for changing their mind is so we understand that and they are actually paying um, for the majority of that officer uh, but there are some costs for the city as well Um, and several of us um, council member garner also weighed in at the meeting with a lot of questions that she had uh, regarding this uh, that we want to hear from the school district on Have you heard from the district or from parents or other people in the community, students, uh, in the time since you uh, first said what you were concerned about? And uh, have you been getting email uh, response or phone calls or anything ahead of that meeting? Uh, I have not, but the agenda for the meeting next Thursday went out uh, last night. 
Okay. Uh, we always send agendas out uh, seven days ahead, although state law is three days ahead. So we always want to give at least double the notice for the public so that they are aware and then take the opportunity to go on shows like yours and let people know that this is coming at our meeting on October 14th at 530. And mm-hmm. people can call in and make public comment uh, by going to the city clerk's website and sending their name in that they want to be called to make public comment. Now, I think a lot of people, Jeff, assume that police officers make a fair living wage, and they should. Uh, They have a pretty dangerous job. And I recently saw a job posting for a lateral hire, meaning someone who is already a police officer, not somebody that you would be bringing up through the academy and so on. Uh, And the starting wage in Palm Springs uh, on that listing was roughly... Forty-five to seventy thousand dollars, and that sounds pretty reasonable. Uh, and it doesn't really surprise me in the least. But then we hear about one hundred and eighty some odd thousand dollars allocated for a school resource officer. Do these officers have some sort of special training, and what makes this such an expensive headcount for the city? Uh, sure. So, police officers, um, you know, there's a starting range, but. Obviously, depending on experience, they make more money. And there are a lot of benefits, right? Benefits make up a significant portion of total compensation for employees. Like, There's health benefits. There's retirement and on and on. And that gets them up close to the $200,000 range? I mean, again, um, I would imagine that somebody who's going to be a school resource officer must have some special training that they're required to go through. Do you know that? I do not. I do know that our police department has always really worked to um, have whoever was in that position over the last years be someone who would be really good at working with teenagers. Uh, and so I know in selecting, that's a, that's a big issue. But I know the school district has said they want to be part of that process moving forward uh, and wanted some changes in the contract. Although from my understanding, there's not much of a change in the contract that's proposed from the past years. The other question that I had that came in from somebody last week when we brought this up is, wouldn't the schools have the potential of drawing as many or all of the sworn police officers as the department needs to send in the event of any actual crime that's taking place, whether it's, you know, a theft or it's, God forbid, but, uh, you know, a school shooting type of event uh, on property there anyway. So some people wonder, what is the resource officer doing all day when you would normally call 911 and have the police respond to a criminal action anyway? Um, Yes, absolutely. If there was some criminal action, we got a call from the school district or anyone else with something happening at any of the schools, right? Not just the high school, our police would respond. So that's not, I think, what this is about, right? The resource officers are intended really to be there, right, to help de-escalate right, to help lower potential violence on campus. And as our acting police chief shared at the last council meeting, to really follow up leads that come from being on campus that are, you know, associated in some way with something that happened on campus. So that is the reasoning um, that you hear why it's helpful. You know, the flip side is how having a police officer presence in the school is going to impact students' learning, and is that what's best for students? So that the students feel that they're in a um, supportive environment, and some don't feel that way with law enforcement, and of course others feel safer with law enforcement. Sure. So those are sort of the issues that really need to be discussed. But if you look at the data, uh, you know we know unfortunately that you know foster youth and black students and American Indian students 
uh, represent a very high disproportionate share of those who are suspended from Ponce Street Unified School District. And there are concerns about that. Um, now, several years ago, Coachella Valley Unified School District decided no longer to have police officers serve in these roles, but really train staff to be the resource uh, personnel. And that is something that, you know, I know a lot of people have advocated for moving forward so that there's a much more supportive environment. You know, if you're talking about school shootings, those happen in elementary schools, of course. not just at high schools, and no one's talking about putting an officer in those. Right. So this really is not about that, right? It's, it's about who, who, who's the best person to be in a position at the school to help ensure that everyone is in a safe, supportive environment. Yeah, and just yesterday we were talking about a case in Long Beach where they had a SRO there who is uh, now facing charges because he shot uh, a young woman who was fleeing from a school uh, in a car who had apparently been in a fight with a student at the school and killed her. And there's a whole other world of problems that exist there, I would imagine, not just for the school district, but for the police department and all that, when it goes and runs over the top like that. Um, Let me ask you, Jeff, um, because there is a lot of other stuff going on in Palm Springs these days. It seems like the council has been burning the midnight oil. So let's look at uh, some of that other stuff. Uh, you have recently taken a lot of feedback on both sides of the debate about issuance of an official apology to residents uh, or their descendants uh, who once lived on Section 14 uh, before homes were raised and, and a move was made to build commercially in that part of town. Were you surprised at how much of that divisiveness existed in the community here more than a half century later? Um, No, I'm not surprised by it. I think the almost 99% of the feedback was really about whether um, the monument of uh, former Mayor Bogart uh, should be moved from City Hall than it was on the apology. And many people who wanted the monument to stay there still thought an apology was appropriate, uh, which I sound somewhat surprising. But, you know, the reality is that this has been a divisive issue in our city and not apologizing for 50 years for the city's role in this, where we actually bulldozed and burned down people's homes without finding them a place to live before that happened, caused a lot of pain for folks. So I think it's important, as sometimes I hear from folks, you know, you take on very, you take on these issues that divide the community uh, the reality is the community has been hurt and divided. And you know, I think the five of us who are on there were all elected in part um, for us to start taking on these issues, whether it's right, systemic racism, whether it's vacation rentals, whatever it may be. Over the last few years with new council members, you've seen a willingness and a desire to really work on issues and not be so concerned about what the political implications are, but it's really trying to address long-standing problems we've had in our city. And I think that's why, you know, you have five relatively new people. I'm the longest uh, serving council member and I'm, you know, five and a half years in. So that's what I think the majority of our residents want. They want us to address issues, not to ignore them any longer. Moving the statue uh, that is sitting in front of City Hall right now of Mr. Bogart, do you have any ideas on on where perhaps that should be moved? Um, You know, there have been you know, a number of ideas from different people on where that should be moved. And, you know, Mayor Fulton Middleton really wanted more, a 
process uh, where we can get input on that. So, you know, I think that's going to move forward. Uh, but first, it has to go to the Historic Site Preservation Board. There's a whole legal public process before we get to that next phase. Some people's hair on the back of their neck stood up. Mine did, too, for the mere reason that people were making a big deal about this. How can it be controversial that you guys named the dog park after former city manager David Reddy. He was a huge advocate for that park, correct? Oh, absolutely. Uh, without him, that park probably would not have been done. Is this just one of those things, Jeff, where people would bitch if you gave, gave them a million bucks? You know, the good thing is we have very engaged residents in our city. Um, and not everyone is going to agree. And more often than not, it's the people who don't like a decision are the ones you hear from. What's troubling for me is that lately, if someone doesn't like a decision, even though we've engaged in the legal process of public notice and public meetings, and we give notice more than double the time that is required under state law of items, and even though it's been in the press and people to come to a council meeting and weigh in, if the result isn't what they like, they complain that we've short-circuited the public process. You know, we're one of only, I think, two cities that meet in the evening, so working people can participate. Um, We always go through the legal process. You know, Mayor Holstage um, suggested this at the last uh, meeting in March before former city manager David Reddy left, and it didn't come back to us for two more meetings. And it was, you know, discussed in the news. So there was plenty of opportunity for folks to weigh in. And, you know, that's true on all the decisions. I mean, we've seen it on many. And sometimes, you know, we, the press says, you know, we, people don't like a decision, seems to think, well, just keep on having meetings over and over. You know, we're already <laughs> have meetings that go past midnight and you know, we want public input. You know, sometimes we have over an hour of public input, put over three hours um, on our special meeting uh, just a week ago. So we want public input. We get hundreds of emails from folks. There's plenty of opportunity, but our job is to make decisions. And, you know, it's just unfortunate that, you know, if people don't like the outcome, the new thing is, because uh, really I didn't hear this before as much as I have in the last year or two, and maybe it's tied to COVID, is that people didn't have the opportunity to weigh in. But I still hear that about district elections, you know, several years later when we had 40 plus public meetings on them. Uh, so, you know, it, it it is the situation, and you know what we need to do is continue to build our email list and share on social media, as the city does, what's coming up in our meetings. Do and you, people you, should check the agenda, and they should follow that, because we want to hear from our public. We want to hear from our residents and businesses. Do you think that people just generally have gotten crotchety in this way uh, because of the tenor of our national political scene, and, it, and that has driven people uh, more to live through their differences rather than finding common ground and getting to resolutions of things? Yeah, I mean, I think generally what has happened at the national level, um, especially, you know, since uh, Donald Trump ran for and um, served as president, is just a much a more divisive, divided public and people not being willing to listen to each other. Uh, And everything has to be due to something, you know, that must be nefarious, must be corrupt, must be some backroom, you know, deal, right? I mean, during the discussion on Section 14, right, the group Friends of um, Frank Bogart 
you know, put out a press release alleging that I broke the law and was unethical um, based on public records that they received. And then there was, you know, stories, right, in the media, in the Desert Sun about these allegations. But, of course, the reporter never looked at the supposed texts that uh, made these allegations. And, of course, when you look at them, you'll see there's nothing to them. And, of course, they knew that, right? If you read it, it's like possibly allegation. There's a possible allegation. (laughs) I mean, you know, it was so couched in this lawyer language, um, knowing that there's nothing there. But that becomes a story. And that's what's sort of sad as we unfortunately see as less people subscribe to paid media, right? They don't want to pay for news. Then newspapers and others have to cut their staff and then there's less staff to really do the thorough work and then less people trust the news and you have people saying the news is fake and it's a really bad downward spiral that happens, right? Um, You know, you're going to print out that there are allegations and the group, and their press release said, please ask us if you want to see the documents and not to do that or and not even to say in a story that we haven't reviewed these documents. And that's that breeds distrust in government unnecessarily. And that's unfortunate. And I know how much our newspapers and others are struggling because subscriptions are down. And uh, it's really it's a scary thing for us when our media, which is our independent, you know, checks and balance in many ways doesn't have the funds to do the kind of work that they want to be doing. Jeff, why do you suppose Palm Springs has been kind of far and away the leader in terms of the steps you've taken to protect people's health? And uh, it seems like it's just politics when people don't follow the science on a health measure like this. But you guys certainly have done that. How do you feel about that? Um, You know, I feel really proud of our city, our city council, our businesses and our residences. You know, I'm sure you remember, and we talked about it back then when COVID was first um, gaining traction uh, in the country, you know, Palm Springs was a national hotspot for deaths per, you know, capita. And we were the second city after San Francisco just by a matter of days to do a stay-at-home order. But we knew that, you know, we wanted to protect our residents. And what I said then, and I believe fully, is... You know, if we overreact, we'll inconvenience some folks. If we underreact, people will die. And public health has to come first. And, of course, we want to balance that uh, with many other things. But ultimately, our job as local elected officials is the health and well-being of our residents. What is more important that we do than that? And so I'm very proud we've been unanimous on council, uh, even on the current rules, when it didn't look like it was unanimous. It ended up being unanimous after we talked it through. And, you know, look at the situation we're in. If you look at the numbers, um, you know, as we predicted, several two weeks after we put our rules in place in early August in the surge, our numbers started dropping significantly. And if you look at us compared to our neighboring cities, per 100,000 residents, we are way lower in new cases than those cities. Some, so, you know, we believe that's working. Our residents, you know, getting vaccinated is working. But we have new visitors every single day coming to Palm Springs. And when we're in a situation where children between born infants and uh, you know, 12 cannot get vaccinated, and there have been over 6,000 cases in Riverside County among children in that age group over the last four months, 
I want to do everything we can that doesn't result in people who are vaccinated and don't know they're positive, which is most people are asymptomatic, even if they get it, accidentally spreading it. And workers, you know, we know kitchen staff and restaurants had a 60% greater chance of dying uh, during the first year of COVID, and I haven't seen updated data, than they did before. And they're going to go home to their families, and those kids aren't vaccinated yet. Right. So I think, you know, it's not so hard to put a mask on when you walk into a business out of respect for the people who work there and the others who are there. And if you don't want to get vaccinated or get tested or show proof of it, you can dine outside. We're going to have perfect weather for the next six, seven months. Uh, so we give people options, right? There's this false narrative that we're requiring people to, you know, to get vaccinated, and we're not. We want everyone to be vaccinated, but you can get tested. You know, it takes 24 hours to get results if you go to a drug st- pharmacy now and get tested because I try and get tested almost, you know, every week, whether at a pharmacy or through a self-test, because I'm in contact. In my job, and I'm at the Boys and Girls Club where I'm vice president of the board, you know, twice a week. And I don't would hate the thought that I could possibly risk a kid getting sick and potentially dying or being impacted the rest of their life because... I wasn't vaccinated and I wasn't willing to wear a mask when I'm indoors with them. And we've seen even with people who've been double vaccinated in city leadership positions in La Quinta, John McMillan, the city manager there, just testing positive this past week and having to move their city council meeting to a virtual meeting. Just because you are vaccinated doesn't mean you're not potentially going to still become positive and or potentially pass this on to other people. And these these are issues issues of, of being mindful of the well-being of other people in our society. So, uh, again, congratulations to Palm Springs for really taking, uh, I think, uh, by a long shot, this leadership position and doing this. Now, you just mentioned that this is a great time of year, by the way, to actually get to sit outside and, and dine. I've read and heard things in terms of the city is now asking some of the restaurants and bars to roll up some of the space that they've taken on sidewalks or in streets and things like that. Is is that the case? Do I have my information correct? Or are you out of the interest of people still not getting sick going to continue to allow them to have that expanded space for a little while? Sure. So after numerous meetings and a working group made up of businesses, uh, what council decided is, you know, we will keep parklets for at least a year, uh, but some changes. Uh, if you're on a corner, you only get one side. <laughs> you can't take <laughs> up the whole corner. That um, we're going to open arenas between Palm and Indian because it was negatively impacting businesses on both sides. So because um, they weren't drive through and no other restaurants in the city except the two there got a road closed. On Palm Canyon, we were going to open up, you know, all three lanes of traffic for the same reason. So everyone felt they were treated fairly, uh, even if they weren't downtown or in those couple blocks. And that there were design criteria, that it had to look good. And so people have a couple, about two more months to do that. It has to go through a committee at our architectural advisory board, not through the city council. But we set criteria working with our planning director because some of them are beautiful and some of them, understandably, are just the K-Rolls that we're funding, the K-Rolls you know, white. So that was one of the changes. There is a small fee, $1.50 a square foot, because we heard from restaurants who don't have the ability to do that, that it wasn't fair that people got free extra space when others didn't. Yeah. And you can't store things, right? You have to have the table set. This is not, you know, you can't store it. 
things out there. It's not a storage area. So right. we really want to beautify it. And I think if we have a year of all of them looking as good as some of them look, then we can really discuss if we should allow continuation of them beyond that. Sounds fair. Uh, but it's great. People love to be outdoors. It's Palm Springs. Yeah, for sure. You know, so, uh, Except maybe in July. It says recover. Yeah. <laughs> well, you'd be amazed how many people are sitting outside on patios in July at 115 degrees, even for lunch. I know. Um, <laughs> so some people like it. And, you know, misters, there's, you know, look, we live in a beautiful place with great climate. And people, we live here because we want to be outdoors. And that's why people come visit us, too. Hey, we're challenged by some things that everybody is challenged by. And homelessness has not been an exception to that. Are you concerned now that evictions are back on the table again, that uh, people who have been impacted by the pandemic are going to be headed to the street in terms of living facing eviction i know that there are still programs in place that the county and state have uh, put forward to help people who need help of staying in a home but not everybody's going to qualify for that how does that issue facing the rest of your council and yourself Sure. And the city also um, added to the county's funding um, a half a million dollars through the program that was to rise for Palm Springs residents who are having trouble with their rent. Oh, good. Because it's really important we can keep people right in their homes and in their apartments. Uh, but, you know, we really have to watch that. And, you know, I'm really thrilled. You know, we've worked and I've tried for years to have a professional homeless provider like Martha's Village and Kitchen have a major role in the city. And we did get some time from them uh, previously, and they helped fund it as well. Uh, But now we have them at two locations, right? The first 24-7 shelter we've had in the summer, and we've been able to extend it for another month thanks to uh, the United Methodist Church being willing uh, to keep it there and Martha's Village and Kitchen running it and the county's financial support to keep it open. And at the Boxing Club, you know, Martha's Village and Kitchen has been running uh, a day center with case management since August. And, you know, it's been running great without, um, I haven't gotten any complaints on it. It, I've been there several times. It's really run well. And, you know, they have an amazing track record, the best I'm aware of in uh, Riverside County. Over 86% of the people who enter um, their program end up in permanent housing. And they track them for at least six months after to help them learn the basics that people forget, right? Doing laundry, all the things that, you know, we do um, regularly that people haven't done for a long time. Yeah. So I think, you know, having those services in place is really exciting. And I've been working and, you know, we're going to be discussing a true navigation center uh, for people who are homeless with transitional housing. Uh, hopefully at one of our October meetings, probably the one at the end of the month on the 28th as we've been looking and working on properties to do that kind of project here. Because we have nothing like Martha's Village and Kitchen to see there in the West Valley, and we need it. Hey, I know that the city, last time we talked a few months ago, the city was putting some teeth into developers who had lagging real estate projects that were really becoming blight, uh, and that having done so and, and jumping on their case, the city has been really successful in getting those moving along or getting that blight out of the way, hasn't it? Yes, as you can see, there's already work happening at the former Andaz, now the Thompson, and there's a new group involved, and they've really been working um, fast to get the changes and everything in place with the goal of opening it by the end of next year, and that's really exciting. That's you know been an eyesore since it was demolished back before the recession. Uh, so we're very excited about that. We were able to get the demolition of the Tova Hotel next to Rick's restaurant done. And we're working with the other hotels um, in negotiations. And But it definitely has brought everyone to the table to start 
really working with us on how we're going to get these projects uh, moving forward. Um, and if they can't be moving forward, what we can do with those properties. And more good news uh, on the Palm Springs tourism front, not just for visitors coming into our city, but also for residents here who want to travel about. Um, I see that Southwest Airlines is about to once again expand their service. They're going to add Dallas Love Field, uh, start their uh, Mm -hmm. Sacramento uh, service, uh, Chicago Midway, Portland. And it seems like passengers in Palm Springs are ultimately going to have some real competition uh, to help get the prices down, hopefully among all the airlines that serve this market, because they're going to be going places that traditionally people have used Alaska, American, or United. I have to imagine that we're the beneficiaries of that as the consumers. Absolutely. You know, it's this fall, we have 14 new routes launching. Um, half of those are places we have service from other cities, so competition will make it less expensive, which is great for residents and visitors. And the other half are places we've never had service to. So it's really exciting. I mean, Toronto was the one that was announced this week. Um, and, you know, like anything that is supported by a tourism economy, you know, airlines, all the great restaurants and retail and our museum and our events benefit all of us. And we get to live in a city of 45,000 people with world-class restaurants and retail and events uh, as a result. So it's really exciting and it's nice to be able to fly out of Palm Springs. And with one stop now, without changing airlines, you can get to Europe, you can get to Asia, you can get to Mexico. And to have Southwest in the market and really expanding their service really will help our competition for sure jeff i have a bunch more stuff to ask you but we'll have to save it for our next visit i hope you'll uh, come back soon and it's nice to catch up with you thanks for joining me this afternoon thanks so much john and i'm always happy to join and um love hearing your perspectives as well